Would you turn with me please to the book of Colossians and chapter 1. Colossians and chapter 1. And we're going to read tonight verses 12 to 14. Just a short passage tonight. Um, the Apostle Paul in, the, in this passage in Colossians has been talking about his prayer for the church. And he comes to his closing words relating to his prayer. And he says in verse 12, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Please keep your Bibles open there. Well, I told you at Christmas time that one of the books I read last year in anticipation of uh, ministry this December was Bob Hope's book, The Last Christmas Show. And it's a story about how he went around the troops in the different places of theatre ever since World War II, right the way through uh, until uh, Vietnam and, and even a little bit after that as well, visiting the troops every Christmas, performing Christmas shows. And on one occasion, he was performing a show on board an aircraft carrier and ships uh, were nearby and their, their troops were being flown across to this aircraft carrier to enjoy the show that he was going to put on. But he said it was a fascinating experience being on one of these ships, he said, because these pilots coming in, and this was in 1965 in the South China Sea, he said that the pilots have a very short runway and they have to come down onto the runway and they have to catch the plane on what's called an arresting wire. And the wire basically acts as a brake to stop them uh, from skidding off the end. And if they don't hit the wire, they have to take off and fly around again. It's a very risky thing. And bearing in mind as well that the, uh, the, the ship is not flat. It's moving with the sea all the time. And he said on one occasion, he was down below decks visiting the men and they could hear the planes coming in. There were six planes to come in. And he said, when it time the planes were coming in, everybody went quiet. And... One by one, they could hear the planes. Even though they weren't talking or looking out the window, they could hear the planes up on the deck above, the skidding of the tyres and so on. And they were counting them in one by one. They said one guy went round six times before he hit the arresting wire. And when he finally came in, he said there was a huge collective sigh of relief. He was home safely. Well, when I read that, I thought, you know, isn't that a, a little bit what it's like for us when we're thinking of, of people being saved? Isn't there this huge sigh of relief? Oh, wonderful. They've come to know the Lord. You know, maybe they've been to church a lot of times with us, lots of carol services or something. And they've been like that plane going around and missing the arresting wire in the runway. But eventually, oh, praise the Lord, they're saved. 
And uh, I thought to myself, you know, that's what our attitude should be towards other people's salvation. And it's what it should be towards our own as well. An absolute relief and joy in salvation. And this is what Paul is expressing towards the end of his prayer here for the Colossians in chapter 1. He says about giving thanks to the Father. And then he lists the things that the Father has done for us in terms of salvation. It should be something that brings us incredible joy when we think about what the Lord has done for us for, to bring us to salvation. Now the context for Colossae was that the church there had been visited by false teachers or was plagued by false teachers who were trying to tell them that they needed something more than the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saying, yes, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is very important. But Jesus isn't enough. What you also need is Jesus plus And then they were adding on other things, the worship of angels, uh, the keeping of the law and so on. Lots of things that we see, uh, philosophy and things like this. In chapter 2, we see all sorts of things that were added on. But Paul's great message in this book is, no, Jesus is enough. If you're in Christ, you have everything you need for salvation. And this is one of those passages which really brings that out because in the first part of this prayer, Paul has been praying, uh, I pray this and I pray that for you. But now Paul isn't praying these things for them anymore. He's instead, he's giving thanks for what has been done and is assured of for them. And it's a wonderful little catalogue of things that are true for the description of what it means to be a Christian. And I want us to see these things tonight and rejoice in them for ourselves if we know the Lord as our saviour. And if we don't know the Lord as our saviour yet, to spur us on to turn to him. Because what it means to be a Christian, it means to be four things. It means to be qualified. It means to be delivered. It means to be translated. It means to be forgiven those are four things from these verses and uh, having broken bread tonight let's continue thanking God for what he has done for us first of all then it means to be qualified verse 12 giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light how big a sinner can God save Mel Trotter is a good illustration of the power of God to save souls. Mel Trotter in America was a man who really uh, fulfilled the description, a no good. (laughs) He was a no good person. He uh, was a drunkard. He kept getting fired from jobs. He abused his family. And he basically uh, would do anything for a drink. One day he came home needing money for a drink. He saw his little girl who was desperately sick and she was lying in bed and he went over, he took her shoes off and went and sold her shoes for a drink. When he came back, the little girl was dead. That man was so struck by the depravity of his own life that he went out and he said, that's it, I'm going to end my life. And he decided to go to the, uh, the Lake, Lake Michigan in Chicago and to drown himself, throw himself into the lake. And as he was passing through the town, he heard a loud speaker and the voice 
proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people that there was a God in heaven who loved them and sent them a saviour. And the thought went through his mind, can there be anyone who could ever love someone like me? And he thought, well, I've at least got to go inside and find out. (laughs) And he went inside and he heard the gospel and he got gloriously saved. And his life was a total total turnaround. The Lord delivered him from the influence and power of drink. I know it doesn't always happen instantly like that with everybody, but it did with Mel Trotter. And he gave his life to serving the Lord and helping people like himself who were drunkards and those who were uh, in the same sort of rotten state that he was in. And he set up a work, Mel Trotter Ministries, and it spread across America. And it's a special work helping the down and outs. They have a very big place in Grand Rapids, uh, which feeds the homeless and helps those in that situation. So how big a sinner can God save? If he can save someone like Mel Trotter, uh, he can save someone like me. And the way God saves us is, according to this, to qualify us. Now this is an amazing thing in verse 12. It says that giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Now I don't know about you, but when, it, when I think about becoming a Christian, I don't really think in terms of being qualified because we tend to think of qualifications in terms of exams and things like this. But this isn't an exam that you sit. It's a test somebody else sat and passed on your behalf. Now, that's a test I like. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus Christ, through his saving work on the cross, has qualified us to be partakers with him in heaven. This is a wonderful, wonderful reality. Uh, you know, this is, uh, 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 this is beyond really uh, our, our, our greatest fears for assurance. Because this is what reassures us that we will get to heaven. Because he has, notice that word has, draw a circle around it perhaps, has qualified us not will qualify us but has qualified us and in fact you'll notice all these things are in the past tense verse 13 he has delivered us in verse 14 in whom we have redemption it's a, a finished work of christ we're talking about here tonight and he qualified us the, that word qualified in the greek it's the same word that's used by paul in 2 corinthians chapter 3 when he's talking about his role as a minister and he says about who who is sufficient for these things he talks about the great weight of, of responsibility on being a minister and he says who's 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 sufficient for these things and then in, he says in 2 corinthians 3 he says our god has made us sufficient it's the same word he's qualified us for this part and uh, it's a, a wonderful fulfillment of the demands of the law being met you know, if you go to York, there's a, a plaque in, in a church there to a man by the name of Fawcett. And Fawcett was a very wealthy landowner in, in Ireland uh, who lived in York. And during the days of the potato famine, uh, the farmers there who were renting land from him said, we, we have no uh, money to pay you. Can you please let us off our rent? And he wrote to every single one of them and said, no, absolutely not. You must pay the rent in absolute full or you will be evicted from your houses. 
And then behind the letter, they found he'd given them a check for more than enough that the rent was. (laughs) And basically, he made the demands, but then he met the demands in love. And you see, that's what our God has done. God hasn't lowered the standard. He hasn't said, well, okay, well, let sin go. Sin doesn't matter anymore. God has said, no, the standard is righteousness and perfection. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to provide what you need to get into heaven. And he provides that salvation through the Lord Jesus. And he gives us the righteousness we need and takes away our sin. Now, the the implications for this are absolutely staggering. What that means is holiness is assured for me as a child of God. Now, some people, that's almost too hard to believe because they tend to think that holiness is a sort of extra. Some people have got it, some people haven't. You know, if they read their Bible in a a particular way uh, or pray in a particular way, they're very holy. Uh, But uh, the rest of us, we're probably not going to qualify for that. But we are made holy by the finished work. We're qualified. Have a look down in verse 22. Paul says this about the work of salvation. He says, in the body of his flesh, which we've just been remembering, in the bread we took in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight that's staggering isn't it that's what the Lord's done God has made you if you are a child of God holy let me show you another verse this one I'd love you to look up because I want you to remember where it is forever all right, this is a great assurance verse. If you come to uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is talking there about the people in the church. And he's talking there saying that not many of you are rich, not many of you are wise, not many of you are strong, not many of you are noble. You remember that wonderful list? And, uh, but the Lord chooses the, the weak things of the world to shame the strong and so on. And then he concludes that passage with this verse, which very few people really wait on to understand. But listen to what it says. It says... Verse 30, but of him, that's of God, you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, it was God who picked you up and put you in Jesus. Salvation came from him. Uh, All right. Who became for us wisdom from God. And then he lists a little bit more and says, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is all those things for us. He's our spiritual wisdom, but he is also our righteousness. God has given us righteousness in Jesus and sanctification. The word sanctification in the NIV is translated and our holiness. He is our holiness and our redemption. Isn't that wonderful? Tonight, God has qualified you for heaven and his holiness is assured upon you. You can go home tonight blessing God who has qualified you. You may feel, you know, I'm not worthy to take bread. I'm not break bread and remember what the Lord's done. You're not worthy in yourself, but you are in Christ because he has qualified you and holiness is assured. It also means heaven is assured. Heaven isn't a fingers crossed affair. Maybe I will, maybe I won't make it. 
It's a certainty. Look at the rest of verse 12. He says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, the word to be a partaker there is the word to have a share or a lot. And it comes from the Old Testament, actually. And what it comes from is that wonderful passage that I talked about in, in, in reference to last week when I talked in the morning about the, the land division among the tribes of Israel uh, in, in the future in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I said it was like Joshua back in the Old Testament when he divided up the land and he gave each tribe their portion. Well, that's the word used here. You have been given a portion. You have your own lot. That's the word, what it literally means. You're a partaker. You have your own place in heaven. You are a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's a, it's a kingdom of light, morally and divinity. It's a, a beautiful thing. And he has assured you of that by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I love the book of Daniel. And I love the last verse. Of the, I like the love, love the last chapter. I love the whole book. But Daniel's told at the very end. But you go your way till the end. For you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance. At the end of the days. What a wonderful thing for Daniel to be told. Daniel, you're going to rise and have your inheritance. But here we're told the same thing. Only we're told it about heaven. And we're told we're going to have our inheritance in the saints in the light. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And our acceptance in heaven is not based on our condition, how good we've been this week. But our position in Christ. We've been qualified. I think that's absolutely fantastic. You know, there was a, a, a martyr in the days of Queen Mary whose name was Dr. Roland Taylor from Suffolk. And uh, he uh, and his family uh, were going to the place where he was going to be executed. And the night before he was executed, he was allowed to see his family. His family were allowed to see him in prison. And he gave his son a book of martyrs that he had been reading in prison to try and encourage himself. And in the flyleaf inside, he wrote these words, Roland Taylor departing hence in sure hope without all doubting of eternal salvation i thank god and my heavenly father through jesus christ my certain savior amen the 5th of february 1555 <laughs> he was as sure of heaven as if he was already there and so can you be that's what it means to be a christian it means to be qualified God has set the demand and God has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is take it. William Gurnall, the great Christian, says faith has two hands. With one it pulls off my own righteousness and throws it away. And with the other it takes Christ's and puts it on. Do that today if you've not yet done so. Second thing I want you to see here, what it means to be a Christian is it means to be delivered. And this is what verse 13 says. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And we'll go on to the next part in a, in a moment. 
came across a fascinating story uh, in a book recently uh, dating strange things that happened in the year 2007. And in November 2007, in Wakefield, Ohio, <coughs> in uh, Pike County, the sheriff there was given a call by local drivers. Now, they were used to being chased by dogs. But on this occasion, a massive lion was chasing the cars. His name was Lambert, and he had escaped from a zoo, or, or from a private ownership, I should say. And he was out attacking the vehicles, and they had to uh, uh, catch him and rescue the people from him. What a terrifying thing to think there's a lion out there chasing us. I want to tell you, dear friends, the devil is called a prowling lion in the book of Peter. And it's one of the pictures of Satan in the Bible. But he isn't chasing people. He's got them already. He's got them already. They're already in his kingdom and under his power. And when we are born into this world, we are born into Satan's kingdom. You see, a lot of people think that we're going down the, uh, the straight and narrow road and there's a left and there's a right turn, you know, and if we turn right, we'll go to heaven and if we turn left, we go to hell. I want to tell you that's not true. We're already born on the road to hell. We're already born on the road which leads to Satan's kingdom. We are in his kingdom. It's like in Pilgrim's Progress when uh, Christian reads in the book about he's in the city of destruction and this place is going to be destroyed. And uh, 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 Napoleon, the, the lord of this city, rules over this place and he's going to be judged by the, by the, ki- the king. And he realizes this whole place is doomed. Well, that's our world. And we are in Satan's kingdom before we become Christians. But when we become Christians, we are delivered from Satan. I want to tell you, that is one of the most wonderful, wonderful things. To be rescued from the jaws of Satan himself. In fact, this word delivered here, it's a word that, that, that means to be drawn out and to be rescued. And it's It means to be rescued from the jaws of something. It's a word that's used in a similar way of the exodus from Egypt. How the children of Israel, and this is probably what's in Paul's mind, that, that when Israel was drawn out of Egypt, they were rescued from the power of Pharaoh and they were set free. And uh, this is like being set free from the devil's kingdom. And he says this is one of the things that has happened, not will happen to us in the future. It has happened to us. We have been delivered now from the power of darkness. This is a tremendous, tremendous blessing for a Christian. What does it mean? It means that we're rescued from Satan's kingdom. We're no longer in the devil's kingdom. We're no longer under his rule. And that word kingdom, that word power there, is the word exousia in Greek, which means his authority. His authority, his, his power and authority which he exercises over us. Uh, you know, we, we think of authority as somebody having the, 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 the right to tell somebody to do something. But it's not just the right to tell someone to do something, it's the power to do it as well. You know, a traffic warden can stand in the road before a bus and say stop, but he hasn't got the power to stop the bus. 
He has the right to stop the bus, but he hasn't got the power. But Satan has authority. That's what this verse teaches us. That's why we should never treat the devil like a joke. He has authority. But when we become Christians, we've been rescued from that authority. That's a wonderful, wonderful deliverance. It also means we've been rescued from Satan's doom. Because all those who are in his kingdom are going to share the same fate that he is going to suffer, which is to be cast into the lake of fire. You see, people in cartoons today often depict the devil and in lots of flames with a little pitchfork. I want to tell you, the devil isn't in hell now. I wish he was, but he's not. He's loose in the world today. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. And 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that he is the God of this age. He has influence over people. He is active in the world today. The prince of this world, Jesus called him. But he is going to be judged. Even as his judgment fell at Calvary, so the enforcement of it will come at the second coming and he will be cast into the, into the bottomless pit and into the lake of fire. And so will those who belong to him. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is you're not only rescued from Satan's authority, you're rescued from Satan's doom as well. You know what? If I wasn't a Christian and I heard about this, I would flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to think I would. Because to be rescued from being with him, being with the devil and being in his, his league would be a wonderful, wonderful mercy. The thing is, The devil keeps people and he does it by two things. He does it by distraction and he does it by deception. He does it by distraction because people say, oh yeah, I'll do that one day. I'll become a Christian one day. But they don't like to think about these things now. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it, you know, I'd, I'd rather think about something else. I don't, who likes to talk about the devil? I didn't come out on a nice Sunday night to hear about the devil. Oh, come on, I wanted encouragement. And the devil likes to switch people off. And that's how he'll keep people. By distraction. Maybe that's how he's keeping you. But he also keeps people by deception. Because the devil is a liar. John Bunyan says he tells two lies. He'll tell people, number one, you're safe. It doesn't apply to you. You're safe. Or number two, it's too late. And that's so true, isn't it? You know, if you ever met people who said, oh, it's too late for me. I've left it too late. I've heard old people say that. But the thief on the cross was proof you can be saved at the very last minute if you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you've not yet called on Christ, seek him today. Some old preacher said, resist the devil and resist him quickly. (laughs) that's good advice turn to the Lord and be saved because he has delivered from the power of darkness those who belong to him if you want to be in that group you're welcome the third thing about what it means to be a Christian is it means to be translated and this is where we go from the darkness to the light from the negative to the positive because in the next part of verse 13 he says and conveyed or the king james version says translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love now this is a beautiful picture here that uh, paul is painting and it's a picture of uh, an 
of a removal from one kingdom to another. And he's saying here that just as surely as you were in the devil's kingdom and you've been delivered, so God hasn't left you wandering in the wilderness. He has brought you into a new kingdom. He has brought you into the kingdom of the son of his love. And the Greek word that he uses here is a word that Josephus uses for the works of Antiochus Epiphanes in the second century before Christ. Because in, that, in the second century before Christ, Antiochus deported 50,000 Jews from Babylon to Colossae. And this is what dictators used to do. This is what President Putin did. You remember, didn't he take some of those people from Ukraine and took them on coaches to Russia, deporting them from one place to another? Nasty thing to do. But in Christ, it's a wonderful thing. He's saying that the Lord has taken you out of Satan's kingdom and he has brought you into the wonderful kingdom of his son. A better kingdom with a better king. The son of his love. The God of love. And uh, the father's love is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that, don't we, in the Gospels. At the baptism of the Lord Jesus, this is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. And on the Mount of Transfiguration as well. And we are translated from one kingdom to another. That's a wonderful thing. And you know what? The, the rule of this kingdom is love. I was thinking before the service of two verses in John's writings. In John chapter 5 verse 24, the apostle said this, or the Lord Jesus said this in, in, in John's gospel. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death Unto life. That's that same translation, isn't it? From, from death to life, from one kingdom to another. And in the letter of John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. We live in a better kingdom with a better king who gives us a new heart to love in a different way. What a wonderful thing it is to be translated and transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this came home very forcefully to me when I read the amazing testimony of Sergeant Jacob de Shazza. He's the uh, American man here in uniform. In World War II, he was captured by the Japanese and he was treated absolutely terribly in their prisons, as they often were. And uh, he became a very, very bitter, very vengeful person. But while he was in prison, a Bible was given to him. And prisoners will read anything, and he read the Bible and one day he came to that passage which we read before the communion. He read about the Lord Jesus dying on the cross. And how the Lord Jesus said, Father forgive them for they do not know what they do. And when he read that and he thought about how the Lord Jesus could forgive those who were crucifying him. The love of Christ melted his heart and he became a Christian. And he asked God to give him that same grace. His own words were, he said, my heart was so full of joy I wouldn't have traded places with anyone. Think of that, even in that prison. Well, that man, when he came out, he wrote his testimony. And his testimony got put into a little tract. 
And he made up his mind. He wanted to go back to Japan, not to get vengeance on the Japanese, but to try and win them for the Lord. And he went back and he joined others and they shared this tract and shared this testimony, passing it out. And one day, a man who was beside himself in depths of misery and depression came along and he received one of these tracts. He was the Japanese pilot who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. His name was Captain Mitsuo Fushida. And when he read what, this, what had happened to this Christian, he thought, if the love of God can save a man like that, maybe it can save me. And he asked to meet the Christians, he asked for a Bible, and he became a Christian himself. And he even went back to Pearl Harbor, asked forgiveness of the people there, and read them the words of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you know, what a kingdom we belong to. Where do you find that in the world? Anywhere. This is amazing. We've been translated. What a glorious thing it is to be a Christian. But then finally, it means to be forgiven. Verse 14. Paul says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Billy Graham in his book World of Flame says this. He says, in these days of guilt complexes, perhaps the most glorious word in the English language is forgiveness. And I agree. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to be able to talk about forgiveness. And that is what we have as Christians when we trust in the Lord. We become Forgiven. Now that means two things. I couldn't put these, they run out of space. But uh, it means something legally and it means something relationally. Legally, it means I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means the price has been paid for me. The price has been paid for me. And the price of redemption was the price of blood. Now, at one time, I uh, decided I would look in a concordance up all the verses that mentioned the blood of Jesus. And I actually bought an exercise book, and I was going to put them all in this exercise book and try and learn. And I, I was actually shocked. Do you know how many verses there are on the blood of Jesus in the Bible, in the New Testament? 100, 200, 300? Eight. Eight. It really surprised me. And, and, and I've traced them. There are lots of references to the death of Christ, but there's only eight specific references to the blood of Jesus. You have a look. And uh, this is one of the ones that speaks about his blood being for our redemption, the price. And when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was not just being uh, removed from his body as a part of torture. It was paying a price to God, a ransom price. This is what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says. Uh, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. No, it says... It says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's almost a, the same verse as here. It was the price paid. And this means that the warrant for my arrest has been cancelled. If I can put it like that. 
The warrant for my arrest has been cancelled because I'm no longer a wanted man. I'm redeemed. The price has been paid by the Lord Jesus. That's a glorious thing, isn't it? Someone asked this question in a book I read, and it said this, would you die for you? Uh, do you know what? I knew the answer to that was straight away. <laughs> I'd be the one to pull the trigger. <laughs> would you die for you? No, I wouldn't die for me. But the Lord died for me, and he died for you, that you might be redeemed. That means legally your debt has been paid, the warrant for your arrest is cancelled, you are forgiven legally. But what that means relationally is that I am restored to my father. I'm not only redeemed, I'm restored. Like the prodigal son, I am brought back to my heavenly father. And the relationship is brought back, which Adam lost in the Garden of Eden, which I aggravated by my sin on earth. But now I am my father's child. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to put your head on your pillow tonight and say forgiven, forgiven. Can you say that? As I bring this message to a close and I want you to rejoice in this, if you're not a Christian, uh, I want you to think about this. Bob Hope said in that book about the uh, aircraft carrier, there was one more pilot. He said, we were all fascinated by the techniques of the landings And Admiral Ralph Cousins, who was then commander of the Carrier Division 9, suggested that we go up on the bridge and watch a squadron returning from a mission over enemy territory. It was eerie up there on the bridge as the plane streaked in out of the darkness, picked up the beam and landed on the careening deck with meticulous accuracy. As fast as one plane would land, they would tow it away to make way for the next. Then it happened. The ship was pitching, and as it came up, a plane was landing. It caught its tail on the edge of the flight deck, missed the arresting wire. There was a shower of sparks as it skidded over the edge, down into the China Sea. The pilot hit the ejector button before his plane exploded in a ball of flame. But for 30 anguished minutes, we were afraid that the pilot was lost. The carrier's escort destroyers, the USS Turner Joy and the USS Swanson, scoured the waters. The tension was almost unbearable as they searched the seas in the dark. And then came word over the loudspeaker. The pilot had been sighted and plucked out from the water by the angel, the helicopter that is always aloft when planes are taking off and landing. What a scream went up in that boat when the helicopter landed. And the Bible tells me there is much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and is saved. So if you've not yet turned to the Lord Jesus, become a Christian. Be qualified. Be delivered. Be translated. Be forgiven. And above all, that will be blessed.